Hello, kids. This is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison, and every Thursday we release these special episodes that we're calling Classic Risk Singles. Each of these episodes features just one story from the past. If you're new to Risk, you should know that the podcast can be very uncensored. This week, a story that I first shared on the podcast in February of 2012. Here's me now with a story we call Beyond Kink Camp Part 1. I'm naked. On the floor. And the wood is cold. I'm bowing with my arms stretched out in front of me. The world is just a black void. Total darkness. Because there's this black rubbery tape that's wrapped around the whole upper half of my face. And it's so tight, I can feel just a twinge of pain from my eyeballs being pushed back into their sockets. And earlier, I'd stretched duct tape across the locks of the apartment building and my apartment so that they couldn't lock. So anyone (laughs) could walk in on me. And I'm waiting for someone I've never seen face to face. And it's been 12 minutes, 15 minutes. I feel like I've never heard this room this silent. And then I think, do I hear something? Is he already here? Is that his breath? Right next to my ear? always felt the the people who listened to risk ultimately really helped to define it because i got a lot of emails in the beginning like this one woman put it so beautifully she said um i don't think it's just about daring to share i think it's about doing things it's gonna be daring to share about so uh, last september when my friend Jefferson invited me to go to this uh, kink camp, he said, Kevin, take a risk. And in that moment, it felt to me like the show had grown legs and walked right up to me and was talking back to me. So I went. But I was mostly just an observer. I still didn't know what BDSM 
had to do with me. Before we went, Jefferson came over to my house and he helped me fill out this profile for this website that's like Facebook for kinksters. And he said, all right, let's start with the easy stuff. Would you say you're a dom or a sub? <laughs> and I said, uh, huh? To keep moving along, I just went with dom. <laughs> let's, let's say that. But the thing is, even after three days at that camp, I still really didn't know. And then I got so busy recording the story of Kink Camp that further exploration into this whole BDSM thing just didn't happen. I mean, my life was no kinkier than it had been before camp. So about two months passed. It was a Tuesday night, midnight. I was just in bed finishing business emails. And when I finally crashed, you know, I let my head submerge into the pillow. And my phone started glowing right next to my face. It was a message from that website, that Facebook for Kingsters. Well, I hadn't been to that site in six weeks. And I'd never gotten a message from someone else there. But the phone said... You have a message from Little China Boy. <laughs> and I was awake again. The message said, So, you like Asian guys. I have a thing for mature guys, is the way he put it. We should talk. So I look at his profile. It says he's 25, a sub. There were just a few pictures, and you couldn't see his face. You could see his body, which was average guy. You know, not perfectly skinny or ripped, which I like. I feel like I can hug and cuddle someone more completely if they're less than perfect physically. I mean... I think it's because it's a more appropriate match. But I could also tell he really was in his 20s. You know, not 12 or 82. The pictures were sexy, but new to me. Different. Like, first, it always kind of looks like a crime photo when someone's face is literally cut out of a picture. Now, in one, there's this big figure in a hooded sweatshirt, who's got the Chinese guy by the hair and is bending him over a sink like he's about to shove his face in water. So the context of the pictures gave me just a little twinge of worry for him. In his profile, he said something like, in China, we couldn't speak about sex. But once when I was little, I saw some pictures of some powerful men forcing younger, weaker guys to do dirty things. And now I'm always horny for the attention that the boys were getting from their masters. What struck me was the word attention. You know, not I'm horny for this guy's body. I'm horny for being the focus of his concentration. So, I'm sitting in bed thinking, 
you know, Kevin, you see guys on the subway all the time and think, oof, I'd love to have my way with him, right? Here's a sexy-seeming guy who's saying, go on, have your way. Was it too good to be true? Or too something I couldn't quite put my finger on? Well, when we'd been making my profile, Jefferson said, you know, the Dom is like the writer and director. He has the whole game plan. With a sub, is just like an improviser. He just shows up and takes directions. So I had some role-playing to do right off the bat. Because would a good Dom ever say, Dom, actually, young man, <laughs> I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> no. I had to act like I did. So I wrote back, I am a dom, but a nurturing one. Ultimately, a papa. I like the sound of that. And then I shared with him a link to the kink camp story. I was trying to say, look, I'm new at this. The next day, I was teaching a storytelling workshop, but I got two emails during a 10-minute break we were taking. The first was from a man named Mika Vertheim. Dear Mr. Allison, I'm a comedian and Risk fan in Amsterdam. I asked the International Documentary Film Festival to bring you here so you can perform in a storytelling show I'm working on. Look for that invitation. By the way, I heard your kink camp story that stuff's big here. Maybe I can point you to some places where you can continue your adventures. They say there's a lot to learn in Amsterdam. I'd never been outside of the Americas. I'd never been offered such a generous treat. And the next message was from Little China Boy. Only now he had a name, Zach. He wrote, is that really your voice? To me, it's hot. Turned out he had listened to not just the story I'd sent him a link for, but to lots of my stories. And he put his reactions to the stories in real time in the email. In one story, when I was talking about being physically attracted to Asian guys, he wrote, ha, you are so shallow but not so shallow that you can't admit it. I like that. When I got hurt by someone in a story, he got upset. He wrote, Aw, don't let an inconsiderate person have power over you. You have the courage to admit to difficult things in front of the world. And in the meantime, you're fucking some hot Asian boys. That's pretty great, isn't it? <laughs> But he also included in this email five photos so I could finally see his face. And just before our 10-minute break was about to be over and the workshop had to start again, I just had to look. And I didn't know what to think. He was an attractive guy. But in the first photo I looked at... These big, beautiful eyes. I just see the most infinite 
sadness in these eyes I think I've ever seen before. And then it was a different thing happening in those eyes in every shot. In one of them, he looks like he's just laughing at the world. And in another one, he just looked completely blissed out with love. I think I held on to that name, Little China Boy, in such a way that I had kind of pictured a one-dimensional Walt Disney character. But here was a man who was complex and potentially beautiful beyond the physical. And it uh, threw me. He was right. I am shallow because I'd been looking for that simple boy toy kind of role. Now what I had seen was complexity, and part of me took one step back. Then the texting and the phone call started, and... The role-playing. BDSM stands for bondage and discipline, dominance and submission, sadism and masochism. Most of us call it kink. And most of us think of kink as play. Improvisations, where both partners use their imaginations just as much as their bodies. And there's a gazillion forms of kink play. But the one, the one branch from which everything else seems to stem is power play. That's, you know, where one partner is dominant, the dom, and another is submissive, the sub. And I began to understand things in a much more nuanced way through Zach. He said, it's like there's different feelings of doming and subbing in the roles. Like, there's master and slave. That's brutality. There's coach and rookie. That's maybe a little bit more like tough love. There's daddy and boy. That could even just be nurturing. And Zach figured that, since I'd called myself Papa, we'd just start with the daddy-boy roles. I said, but we're not playing like I'm a pedophile, right? He said, no, that's baby and sitter. Oh, man, I can't believe I know more kinky stuff than daddy. <laughs> so he really took the lead. I still have a lot of these texts where he's saying stuff like, should I crawl to you on my hands and knees, daddy, with my tongue sticking out like a dog? And me saying, yes, crawl to me like that. <laughs> But he just felt that we needed to uncover more about each other before we were ready for face-to-face -face play. And he mentored me every day, 15 years or so younger than me. But he was always advising me about the people in the community who are, you know what, truly sadistic and to be avoided. He encouraged me with my own stuff psychologically about how I was doing with it all. And he loved to play Could You Imagine. One morning, he texted me, 
Could you imagine that you're the foreign English teacher at my all-boys high school back in Hong Kong? And one day, you call me into your office, along with all the hottest guys in the senior class, and you order us to take off our pants. <laughs> well, I actually spent the entire rest of the day with my face flushed red. He did know more kinky stuff than me. He knew a lot about a lot of things more than me. He's a uh, grad student studying jazz piano, but he's had relationships where he's the dom, where he's the sub. Uh, he's even been in like a harem, you know, a sub amongst subs, and he likes both men and women. But even after hearing so many of my stories on the show, he wanted to know more. Then one day, he was so stressed. He texted to say he was in a panic. It was midterms, and he'd been up for days studying, and he wanted to talk on the phone. I figured that because of the seriousness of it, we'd just be talking as Zach and Kevin. But when I answered, he took on the boy role. He said, Daddy, I'm so scared. And I said, oh, it's all right. Just imagine you're all wrapped up in my warm body. And peace is just glowing out of me and into you. And I'll hold my pillows tonight like I'm holding on to you. And my dreams be celebrations of you because you're so wonderful to me. And he said, thank you. And when I hung up, I thought, I've never spoken like that. When I was at kink camp, I heard people say, you know what this is? An outlet. But now I was seeing it could be something else. Revelation. You know, when you tap into some hidden corner of your psyche, like the part of you that's a genius or a champion or terrified little child, especially in a relationship that's just buzzing with romance and sexual tension, you might find yourself meaning things <laughs> you never even knew you wanted to express. Well, I knew that Zach was going to be through with his finals, with his midterms, like the next day around four in the afternoon. So I called him and I said, are you exhausted? And he said, get on your knees. That'll help me release my frustration. Well, I felt myself starting to get an almost instantaneous erection. He said, now you will obey me. When I tell you to open your mouth, you open your mouth so I can do what I want with it. 
He was, he was making me the sub. He was turning the tables. Well, now, he had talked previously about how frustrated he was with the stereotype of Asian people in America. And I said to him, well, how would you describe it? And he said, that we're not assertive. You know, that we're good boys and girls. That we're not icons of sex appeal, potency, or prowess. But now on the phone with me, he was saying, yeah, you belong on your knees when I'm in the room. Because now all of China is making America suck its cock. (laughs) And I, I said, yes, I would lick the ground you walk on. Ten minutes prior, I wouldn't have imagined I'd say something like that to anyone, ever. I found myself asking his permission that I could masturbate while we continued this phone conversation because nothing we'd done before had been anywhere near this electric. And after it was all done, he said, isn't it humiliating being ordered to lick ass and have me spit on your face? And I said, yes, but I worship you. And he said, then you're ready. So a couple days go by. And then it's Friday, four in the afternoon. He texted me the instructions. I will be there around nine. I want you naked, blindfolded, and bowing toward the door. Both the door to your apartment and the door to your building should have duct tape blocking the locks from locking. I'll remove the tape when I enter. I will let you see my face about a half hour into play. By the way, the photos I've been texting you are of me. Well... I cleaned and I cleaned. I put candles and towels all over. I I set out every toy and lube and whatnot like a surgeon's tools on a table. And I looked down at them and I said, I have no idea what's about to happen. What if I'm so psyched out that I can't get it up? Or maybe he walks in, he sees me naked for the first time, and he says, maybe not. Or maybe he says something that really creeps me out. Or maybe I shout something so loud that the landlord walks in. I have a very nosy landlord. Or maybe something happens like I saw happen at kink camp. There was one night I was walking past this cabin and I look in and there's this beautiful older couple having a scene and he had just hit her in the vagina with a a lash of like something you'd whip a horse with and he had done it much too hard and and her whole body convulsed and she collapsed to the floor and what came out of her mouth the crying the screaming and he was just panicking panicking because he knew he had seriously hurt her anyway i finally get a text And it says, I'm above ground now. Now, 
My apartment's maybe a 10-minute walk from the subway, but people always get lost. So I had, you know, a little bit of leeway. So I put on this sort of white noise kind of tone that I have on my phone, put it over the stereo speakers to kind of add to the intensity. And I stripped and blindfolded myself, took my position on the floor. It hadn't really occurred to me before just how lost you feel. To be rendered blind in such a nervous state. I was just looking out into this infinite blackness when the final sentence of his instructions came back to me. By the way, the photos I have been texting you are of me. Now, of course, he said the same thing when he first sent the photos weeks prior, but was he bringing it up again? just to fuck with my head? Or could this whole thing be a trick? See, for the past few weeks, I'd also been flirting online with this older black gentleman, tall, handsome. His name was Kyle. But after a while, this guy just became too pushy, too in my face. And I'd confess to him that I'm just not really interested in dating. And the last thing Kyle had texted to me was, Oh, you won't get rid of me this easily. So, could Kyle be Little China Boy? And then I heard the door open and footsteps. And I could stop imagining I was hearing things. He said, stay, keep your head down. I will tell you when you can lift your head. He sounded authoritative, but not affected. And as usual, there was kindness underneath it all. You know, like someone who loves a dog, but knows that that dog needs some serious training. He said, I'm going to put a more restrictive blindfold on you. And he pulled me up by the hair, put a collar around my neck, very tight, and a leather mask around my whole head. So now my hearing was obstructed and muffled, too. And out of some instinct, whenever he passed by, I would cling to his legs for support (laughs) because I felt like I needed it. And he said, I didn't tell you you could touch me. That's why I'm going to have to restrain your arms. So he tied my arms behind my back, again, really tight. And I said, yes, master, which was a term neither of us had agreed to. See, a long time ago, Zach had said that master and slave are the most intense of the common dom and sub roles. He said, that's too intense for our purposes. But now that the tables had turned... Now that we were in the heat of the moment, those were the words that just clicked. He said, yes, good slave. And I found myself out of breath. No physical exertion had occurred yet, but I was winded. I thought, Jesus, can I make it through this? And then he wanted to prepare something or other. And in the meantime, he said, you may smell my shoes. 
He had taken off his sneakers and he pushed my face into the mouth of one of them. And I was so grateful. Uh, They smelled worn. They didn't smell bad. But it was the fact that some of his scent was in there that I found so comforting. Like he'd just given me uh, a blanket that a little kid uses when he sucks his thumb. I never imagined that I'd get pleasure out of doing that. Then he yanked me up by the collar and said, You may smell my underwear now. And he forced my face into his crotch. And this started a pattern that went on for, God, I don't know, 15 minutes, where he would let me experience just a little bit of him and then yank me away. And then uh, he made me remove his underwear with my teeth. But when I finally felt the flesh of his genitals on my face, my stomach dropped. He seemed huge. Uh, Now that I was thinking of it, his body frame seemed huge, too. He, He seemed taller than me. He seemed like a big, burly alpha male kind of guy. It was Kyle, the black man that I'd rejected earlier. I knew it. I could now completely sense who was really standing above me. And I didn't know what to do. He wanted oral sex And I went along, but, you know, my head was now somewhere else entirely. If this wasn't who I'd thought I'd allowed into my house and my hands were tied behind my back, it was just too much to process. But was I just being completely paranoid? Well, I guess he sensed that I'd kind of gone somewhere else. And he said, eh, maybe you could use a drink of water. I had nothing to eat that day, so it was good. It's a good thing that he was regularly pouring a little bit of water into my mouth. I said, thank you, master. But my heart wasn't in the words this time. He said, I'm going to remove a sliver of your mask so you can see just a little. And gradually... There was a crack of light shimmering. It was just a, just a sliver, like he said. And I move my head around. I'm desperately trying to orient myself, you know, find something to land on in the room. And then I saw those Asian eyes. <laughs> those beautiful, deep, dramatic eyes looking down at me with a smile. He was even more beautiful in person. He really, really was. More beautiful, I mean, than those photos that I'd found so loaded and fascinating to begin with. And he looked down at me and, you know, could see that my eyes saw saw his eyes. And he said, you look so sexy right now. And he wanted oral again. And this time, (laughs) I went at it. So, he wasn't taller than me. 
or <laughs> someone named Kyle. <laughs> it's just all been in my head. And because I was so psyched now, he started getting rougher. He was really ramming me with it. Until at one point, I gagged. You know, my stomach just convulsed and I coughed. And I was about to pull away and say, sorry, master. But he said, yeah. <laughs> so I discovered his biggest kink. He likes to make guys gag on it. I'd never even heard of people into that. <laughs> for one thing, it's an awful feeling for me, being on the verge of vomiting. But I dove back in. <laughs> I wanted to make it happen again and again. Because it was Zach. I wanted to make him happy. So we did it over and over again. Me gagging and coughing and him just laughing with delight. Bits of vague old memories started coming back to me somehow. Like how when I was about six in Ohio, uh, the girl next door invited me to go see a production of The King and I. And when the curtain came up, there were all these amazing looking people on stage. They seemed to glow. They were this brilliant beautiful amber color with this striking raven black hair so different from mine and their eyes had this exquisite flare I assume I'd seen Asian people before but I was you know six and I grew up around probably 96 98% white people I guess I fell in love with Asia that night but also the king. <laughs> he was a force to be reckoned with. Until the very end, when he just seemed so tragically helpless. And then, years later, I think I was in the eighth grade, the film The Last Emperor came out uh, about Puyi, who took the throne in the Forbidden City, like when he was three. But he ended up, as an old man, just a gardener in the People's Republic. And that movie made me sob. You know, at one point, the former emperor is in this communist prison camp. He's being re-educated, as they put it. And he's stuck in a cell with this guy who used to be his servant. And at one point, he's getting dressed, and he looks kind of desperately to his servant for help. Because he's never learned to tie his own shoes. It's another story of an Asian man of magnificent power who's beginning to find himself powerless. And it just crushed me. And somehow, while I was gagging on Zach, these memories started to click for me. I guess what was clicking was this energy around power, powerlessness, 
and my attraction to Asian men because I knew I was gay at such a young age. Everything in my life is affected by the fact that I knew I was gay about 12 years earlier than most kids start thinking about that kind of stuff. My very first memories are of knowing that I was physically attracted to boys. And I distinctly remember being five, being five years old, and grappling with the fact that the words gay and fag literally meant lame, disgustingly lame, like a boy who likes boys. And I know I was five thinking those thoughts because the, the next thing I thought was, and in one year, I have to go to kindergarten. And what am I going to do if someone finds out? Those were the thoughts that were terrorizing me one year prior to kindergarten. So I spent my formative years feeling like I had power. I felt I had talent and passion and was full of surprises, but I was afraid to let it out, to put my whole self into expressing myself. Because if I did, someone might somehow find out about the gay fag part of me that everyone agrees is so disgustingly lame. So, ultimately, I was just a frightened, helpless-feeling little boy. And I decided that to get by, I should be a very, very good boy. I should get the very best grades. I should never be assertive. I should agree with people. I should not stand out from the group. I should never seem strange. And sometimes today, I'll be riding the subway, and I'll see an Asian guy sitting across from me, and I'll think, he's so beautiful. But he doesn't know it. Because America tells him he's strange-looking. He's weird and common. He's not powerful. He's weak. And I find myself wanting to worship him. To bow before him. And say, I know what you really are. Inside of you is a king. A man that should assert and express himself without regard for what the rest of the people think. A man of such magnitude that he shouldn't even have had to learn to tie his own shoes. And then Zach gagged me again. <laughs> One thrust bigger than all the rest. And I vomited the water he'd been feeding me, all over the floor. I said, Sorry, Master. And I meant it. That's all for this week's Classic Risk Singles episode. Now, don't miss out on our regular full-length episodes. There's a brand new one every Tuesday. And everything you might want to know about us is at risk-show.com.